0: Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. You, of course, can look on your electronic device as well. Last week, in chapter 10 here, we've we've been kind of working our way through, and today is the ending of this subject that God has had the people in Corinth to hear from, from chapters 8 to 10 and for us as well. And so at the beginning of 8 had this this question about meat sacrificed to idols and what the role is for the church in Corinth and how they are to operate with with the fact that they're buying meat in the market that had been sacrificed to these idols. They're buying meat that had taken part in some kind of pagan ritualistic or ceremony and and, and they were trying to figure out what to do. And, And through the whole conversation out of what we came to from last week was this idea that we are to flee idolatry. That idolatry has no place in our life. And he kind of, he hits that in the middle of this, this conversation for the people in Corinth to understand what does it really mean for us to have rights and freedoms as Christians and not get bogged down by using those freedoms in a way that would have an adverse effect on those around us. And so it's been this, this kind of this three-chapter conversation. Next chapter, we start a whole nother conversation. Again, if you remember, this is a letter that was, there were questions that were sent to the Apostle Paul while he was pastoring in Ephesus after he'd been here for about 18 months and planted this church. And about two years later, there's all kinds of issues in the church in Corinth. They're divisive and they're they're struggling with, with church discipline issues and sexual immorality. And there's, there's all kinds of ways with which in the culture in Corinth had seeped its way so much into the church that the church didn't look like it should. It looked, it looked more like the culture around it as opposed to creating the culture of the kingdom of God and living with those present-day implications of his kingdom, even though it's not fully here. And so as we come into this section, he, he closes it out with a really brilliant kind of one-sentence thing in 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 the Scripture that just kind of ties, hey, if you want to understand how you're supposed to operate, what you're supposed to do, what it looks like around meat sacrificed to idols or anything else, he answers that in this text. And so let's go ahead and read it, and then we will dig in. Verse 23 is where we'll begin in chapter 10. He starts, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go and eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one whom informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, I, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And then chapter 11, verse 1, is really where this break should be. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so he comes out, again, quoting, the, the quotations, all things are lawful, is not, he's not quoting scripture, he's quoting a phrase that the, the, the Corinthians had said over and over again. All things are, all things are lawful, all right? Like, we're not, we're not necessarily... Um, we're allowed to do these things. It's not wrong. It's not sin for us to eat this meat because these, these offerings, we wouldn't even take part in the ceremony. Just previous to this, he had talked about how you can't take part in the ceremony. What would happen is this meat would be in one of the temples to Aphrodite's or these other things, and there'd be a, a whole ceremony of ritualistically sacrificing it to the God of fertility or the God of, of the sun or whatever God they are worshiping in there. And they're saying, look, as Christians, as children of God, you can't partake in that. But that meat is just meat. It's just food. You can eat it. It's not the end of the world if you buy it in the marketplace and eat it. And that's where he, he went. And then he comes here and says, comes back to a statement. If you remember back in chapter 6, he had this same statement. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be ruled by anything, is what he said there. And the difference here is he says it goes to building up. Really, what, what happens is kind of the, 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 the twin emphasis of the summary of the paragraph here is to call to mind Jesus' twofold summary, to love God and to love your neighbors. That's what we see here, really. You see, you see, Paul, basically inspired by God, phrases it in terms of giving God the glory and trying to please fellow human, human beings. So he, he says the same thing. In fact, verse 31 is really the point of this whole text. It's really the point of the whole three chapters that we've been talking about this. Verse 31, is, it said it this way. It says, So, whether you eat or drink, Or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The glory of God is our primary role. Let me be really clear on something. There's there's a way that we can glorify God, but even if none of us glorify God, God still is full of glory. He does not need us to glorify Him to present His glory, or when we glorify Him, it does not make Him more glorious. But our our primary role is to bring Him glory. So how do we bring glory to God? Well, some scriptures we see we confess sin brings it, Joshua 7.19. Trusting God, Romans 4, 20. Bearing fruit to Him, John 15, 8. Thanking Him, Psalm 50, 23. Suffering for Christ, 1 Peter 4, 14 through 16. Being content will bring glory to God, Philippians 4, 10 through 20. Praying, John 14, 13. And spreading the word, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. There's just a handful of scriptures that talk about how we can glorify God in our day-to-day lives. But in verse 31, he says, Whatever you do, whatever you do, bring glory to God. So let me just say this a different way. Because he said, whatever you do, that actually means that we can bring glory to God in everything we do. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you wake up, whether you sing, whatever you do, bring glory to God. Even in the gray areas, which is the context of this text, Things that are amoral, not immoral. Things that, that there is no, in and it of itself, there is no real sin. How then do we bring glory to God in those scenarios? Which is what this whole conversation around meat sacrifice to idols is about. Remember had, in chapter 8, he talks about the weakness, the weaker brother. Like, don't, don't cause a brother to stumble by eating and partaking of this if it will cause them to be reminded of the ritualistic ceremonies that they took part in their pagan, pagan sacrifice and worship. Whatever you do, bring glory to God. To God. God is, again, he's already full of glory. There's not, there's not any shortness of glory in him. Glory of God is really, if you think about it, is, is just us proclaiming his holiness. That's what it means to bring glory, glory to God. Is it? Is you're just proclaiming his holiness. Verse 24, he goes on and says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Neighbor here is, is kind of a poor translation. In this section, the word is better translated a little bit further down as, as foreigner or someone that doesn't see eye to eye with you. We see that a little bit later in Corinthians, how it's translated there. And so he's saying, look, there is a way that you can live your life that you can even do for the good of those that you disagree with, for the good of those that you don't, that aren't like-minded. He's calling to us to, to, to bring, in, a little bit further down, he says, of many others, that means that anyone, whether they're Jew or, or Gentile or, or fellow believer, we are to be aware of how we operate with everyone. So in this context, what is, there's, there's a few natural questions that come out of this scripture that we'll hit in just a second that help us understand, okay, so how do we bring this to application, this whole section of meat sacrificed to idols? Because like, again, I've said, I don't think many of us are looking on the labels when we're buying our meat in grocery stores wondering if it had been sacrificed to idols. We're looking more for non-GMO or organic, right? Grass-fed, cage-free, right? All that stuff. None of us are looking for that, and that's not the point. There's an application for us today that I think is is more in line with the things that would be gray to us. What do we do do with certain movies? The scriptures aren't talking about, well, when this certain movie comes out, watch it. But there there are ways with which we as children of God can operate that will bring glory to God. So many things that are polarizing, and I could just go on and on and on on the list and list and list and list, but but, but many of you have these things where you know because there's been someone that has stood before you and has confronted you with the fact that, hey, you're supposed to do this, and you stood and said, look, I don't see it in Scripture, and I don't think it's sin, so there's no reason why I can do it, and there's been divisiveness. And what God does through um, his Spirit in helping the Apostle Paul write this text, he weaves this brilliant kind of yeah, but statement. And really what he does in this, in this section as we move forward through here before we get to those questions is he, he points to the fact that there is a reason for us to err to the side of what maybe we'd say conservative or legalistic. But you can't stay there because, because ultimately that's not the right spot. And then we can't run to the other side of this, maybe this, this freedom or, or liberal freedom or, or kind of like we can do whatever we want because there's issues there. And he, he basically points out like, yes, you can do that. But yes, you can do that. But and then offends everyone at the end. He walks this brilliant line here. And so when he comes back to this conversation again, this was a everyday issue in Corinth because there was so much meat being sacrificed. How do we operate? How do we live? And, and, and I would say for us, it's an everyday issue for us, for the, the amoral things in our lives, the ways that the that, that culture around us says it's perfectly fine. Even maybe your, your, your gospel community may say it's perfectly fine, but there may be people within the gospel community that are struggling because what you're doing and you have freedoms to do might be causing them to stumble and to sin. And there are ways with which you are operating in your work life, in your college, in, in outside of church existence, that you have complete freedom to do so, but you have no idea what adverse effect it may be having on the individuals that God has around you, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members, those that don't believe. And in this text, we see that he brings a really exhausting position for all of us, which is that we are—I'll just, I'll just tell you now so you can tune out if you want. We're to, we're to live our lives in a way that we are fully aware of all the people around us, whether they are believers or not whether they are hostile to the gospel or not, and how we live with the freedoms that we have, how will that help move the gospel further forward in their lives? All while bringing glory to God. Sounds easy, right? So let's, let's talk about it. So he goes down through here and he says in verses, basically in verses 25 through 29, after he talks about the neighbor, he, he lays out this hypothetical scenario. He says, hey, if an unbeliever invites you over to eat, okay, so I want to just pause there real quickly. That means, church, hear me on this. You should be sharing a meal with unbelievers in your life. There was no, this was not, hey, if if a believer fights you over. This is just based on the assumption that the way that the people in Corinth were living, they were going to be rubbing shoulders and spending time in each other's homes, which in this day, spending time in the homes was really Doing life together. It wasn't just a, hey, I should invite you over once and say I did it and check it off my list. No, this was like, we're going we're to do life together. We're going to know each other enough that we're going we're to share a meal together. And so the believers are expected to be living in a way where unbelievers are like, hey, come over, I want you to eat with me. I want you to hang out with me. I wonder how much of that's true for us today. How many of your coworkers or, or family members that don't know the Lord are, are trying and pleading for you to be in their life? which raises a couple questions. One is, is if you're so busy that you can't spend any time sharing a meal with an unbeliever, there's a problem. There's a problem with that. But also poses the second question. If you're living your life in a way where none of them want to be around you, you might be actually holding back the gospel moving forward in their lives because of the way you're using your Christian freedoms to live that might be contradicting the gospel. A believer invites you over. And so the scenario is like, hey, you come over, me and my kids, and my four kids come over, and the poor person that has to feed us has to figure out all our our allergies, right? And and so we're sitting down, and he's saying, look, you can sit down and eat. You don't even need to ask. You don't even need to worry about if the meat was sacrificed to idols. You don't even need to worry about it. And he he goes back and he quotes Psalm 24. And the reason why this is so impressive, he does, he says, like, all of it is the Lord. He's saying, look, this is why we don't need to bless the food, because it's all God's. God has blessed it. If he'd asked Jesus to bless food, he's like, it's already blessed. Why, why do we need to bless this? this is, it's God. Everything in this earth is God's. And what rabbis had done in this day and age, the, the really kind of conservative or, dare I say, legalistic Jews had done in this day, is they had taken Psalm 24 and turned it into a prayer for kosher meals, for meals that what they, they felt they could do in a really non offensive way. And so what he does here is he, he quotes Psalm 24 and he says, Eat, enjoy it, it's a good roast. Dig in. That would have been so offensive to all the Jews in that area. That would have been so offensive because he's like, wait, you're taking our blessing, our prayer. Yes, we stole it from scripture, but you're taking our blessing and you're applying it to meat that had been sacrificed to an idol or potentially been sacrificed to an idol. And his point is saying, look, everything in the earth is the Lord's. He created it. And what do you say after every creation? It is good. It is good. It is good. When Jesus breaks bread and blessing, he's not blessing the bread. He's blessing God. He's saying, thank you, God, for this bread. You don't need to bless the food. And so he's saying, look, you don't need to be so legalistic. You don't need to be so staunch in your beliefs. Just sit down and enjoy the meal. Just partake. Even if it was sacrificed the night before, it doesn't matter because we've already established that there's nothing in this meat that is spiritual. It's the pagan ritual that was spiritual and you're worshiping demons, Which don't partake in that. But the meat is not there. It's, not, it's nothing. It's not a God. It's nothing. It's just food, and it's good. Enjoy it. Cook it well. Put the right spices on it. Enjoy it. Don't worry about it. But then he comes back, and he says, well, okay, but but unless, unless another person says to you, like, hey, this meat was sacrificed in, to idols. Now, we don't know if this is the host that's saying this or if there's someone else at the table in this hypothetical situation. And scholars, uh, you gotta love it. They, they study stuff and they love to kind of try and pick apart and really answer it, but it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who is doing it because he's already established earlier in chapter eight, if a brother will stumble with you eating meat, then don't do it. Take that freedom and say, I will not eat meat. I will become a vegan for the sake of my brother to not be hurt because he's a weaker brother in that situation. So whether this person was a believer or not, most scholars tend to land on the fact that this is just an unbeliever that says it. The reason why that's important is that either the unbeliever is conscious of your faith and awareness of it, and like, oh, hey, by the way, just so you know, this this meat was sacrificed to an idol. And to partake then of that meat, even though you have the freedom to do so. You can be like, oh, that doesn't matter. Seriously, let me take you through the understanding of God and all those. No, you have full freedom. He says, don't eat. Don't eat it. Don't partake of it. Whether it's guest at the home or the host himself, don't eat of it. Because what they're acknowledging is like, hey, if you do this, you might cause a stumbling block for them. You might show them that, hey, oh, it's okay to partake in these rituals because they don't matter anyways. And that was the issue for the believers in chapter 8, right? Is that if we eat of this meal and we say it's no big deal, you're showing a weaker brother that had spent a bunch of time in Aphrodite's temple worshiping her and dealing with the, the church prostitutes and all that stuff. You're telling that person, like, I guess it doesn't really matter. We can partake in it. It's okay. We're free to do so. And so he says, don't do it. So he pushes on the legalistic person and says, hey, hey, you're, you're being ridiculous. It's just meat. Enjoy it. Everything in the, in the earth is good. It's God's eat, enjoy. And then he pushes on the super liberal side of things and the free, the I'm free to do whatever I want. He says, no, no, hang on a second. Just because you're free doesn't mean you should do it. And this is a subject that he's been going back and forth through these three chapters. And what's the point? Why? Because we're supposed to do everything for the glory of God. And there's a way with which you can operate with unbelievers. And, and for us, maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's, it's tobacco. Maybe it's yoga. Right? I mean, what, what could it be like? There's so many things that the, the, the church can divide over of what we can or can't do and how do these things work. And, and in it of themselves, they aren't necessarily horrible, but it's what we do and what they're used for and how many lives can be affected in an adverse way by these different things. Maybe it's just the TV shows you watch. You're at work talking about some show, and people are like, oh, I love that show, and that show has a bunch of nudity in it. Just a quick question, guys. Should we ever watch another woman take their clothes off? Yeah, that's an obvious answer. I was hoping to hear a little bit more like, like, no, you know, why she can smack, right? You know, like, no, we shouldn't, never. So why is it okay for us to partake of watching someone do it on a movie? Because it's a screen separate? No, you're not supposed to do it. Really obvious, not a gray area. But when you talk about these movies, these shows, you do it around an unbeliever who maybe is is addicted or a believer that is struggling and wrestling with porn addiction, you're showing them like, oh, I mean, they can do it. I must, there must be a way for me to get to that spot and be okay. And they just keep giving themselves to me. You're putting a stumbling block in front of them. You have to be aware of the people around you. So he swings back and forth, back and forth, pushing on both sides. And then in verse 32, he says, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God. Now, I'm going to pick on the millennials because they give us the word, I'm offended. Um, but it's a really poor translation for this word. Just so you guys know, that's actually not a great translation at all. It's better to be understood as stumbling block. That's the way that this should be used, not offense. It's not talking about offending someone. Although, let me be really clear, the message of the gospel will be Offensive. God is very clear. His word does not fall void. It's either going to encourage, admonish, or it's going to challenge, rebuke. There will be offense taken when the command is to live our life true to Christ. But, but he's not saying we need to be worried about offending people in our actions. here. Yeah, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, don't put a stumbling block in front of someone. And the stumbling block brings about the same idea. When you do something, you cause a weaker brother or sister to stumble, and they fall back into sin. Or you put a stumbling block from someone that's never prof- professed the gospel at all. And they look at your life and be like, well, I can believe in Jesus if that's all it matters. I mean, like, we're at the same party. We're drinking the same. We're we're, we're doing the same things with our boyfriends and girlfriends. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, I'll claim Jesus too, because that's easy. You're, you're becoming a stumbling block to those around you. And this is what he's saying, and this is what's so hard. He says, whether, whether Jew or Greek or in the church, what he's saying there, he's saying, in this language, he's saying whether it's the Jewish believers of this, or the Jewish people of this day, the, the super-religious people that I would say that maybe hold to other religions than submission to Christ is maybe the context for us today. And then the Greek is, and I'm, I'm 50% Greek, so I don't, I don't want this to be offensive, but it's the pagans, it's the unbelievers, okay? And so they're saying, like, that's what this what means. So, so whether they're the, the hyper-religious, pharisaical, legalistic people, or they're the people that, that don't know God at all and are not professing in Christ at all, or your brothers and sisters in the church be sure to give no stumbling block now i don't think there's another people group i think that's everyone in case you're wondering he's saying that there's a way the expectation is for you child of god now if you are here today and you don't believe in this this can be a very dangerous thing because you can turn to trying to please people as opposed to just figuring out what it means to submit your life to jesus christ and so I want to be really clear, this is, this is for the church. This is for those that are here today that profess Jesus' name, say, I submitted my life to him as Lord and Savior. He is, my, he is my God, my King, my Savior, and I will live for him. The expectation is, now let me be really clear, the expectation is that within your sphere of influence, and I say it that way because it'd be really easy to be sitting in your house and getting ready to eat a vegan meal, and someone that had taken veganism to a full spiritual level in the other side of the world could be offended or stumbled if they did. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the people that are in your context. So this isn't a fear of like, it may be anywhere. This does two things. This does two things. One is the expectation that you should know the issues and the struggles with the people that you're around. So you should be living your life in a way that your neighbor's Whether they know the Lord, or they're of a completely different religion or faith that they have, or they're in the church, you should know what causes them to stumble, just like they should know what causes you to stumble. So it means two things. One is we have to be a lot more open with our lives. We have to be willing to tell people, like, even when you're afraid they might be upset at you, like, hey, just so you know, like, in the past, I struggled with alcohol, and, and when you drink like that, it really, it really causes a Like, block. We have to be willing as believers in God to be able to say those things and admit our weaknesses because it's helping others be strong, and it's growing us. But it also means that we should be really careful about how wide we spread our sphere of influence, meaning social media. You can look really, 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 not like who you should on social media very quickly. And in this day and age where it's take a picture of everything, you have no idea what that picture could do to someone that you know really well. And they may not be confident enough to say something to you. This isn't, hear me on this, please, please. This isn't a license to live your life in fear. Instead, it's, it's a license to live in a way that would bring glory to God in everything you do. So it's not that we need to worry about. It. I don't think the question is, well, how is this action going to cause my family that doesn't know the Lord, my, my coworkers, well, my coworkers hopefully know the Lord, right? But like the, the, my coworkers, right, and, and, and the people at school, or what, like how is this going to affect my neighbors? How is this going to affect the people that don't know the Lord or the people that do know the Lord? I don't think you need to ask that question over and over again. I think you need to be cognizant of that, of that question. I think the primary question is, how can what I'm doing right now bring glory to God? Because if that's the primary goal, the others kind of take care of themselves. There's a few uh, natural questions here. He goes on and says in verse 33, another word that I feel like the ESV is usually really great about this, but this is another word we have to define a little bit better. He says, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, uh, that can come across very much like a people-pleasing thing. Like, I got to please everyone, and and I just got to be a doormat, and that's not what he's talking about. This word is usually used towards a slave and a, a servant, meaning that I'm going to serve in such a way that it will bring joy to my master. So he's saying, how do, how do we serve everyone in a way that we, that we give up, not seeking our own advantage, but look for the advantage of others? And then he ends it with, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, which could sound very arrogant, right? We were talking about that before service. Like, well, follow me as I follow Christ, <laughs> Like, it just seems like it could be really, really offensive, but what he's doing here, the word imitate is actually, it, this word imitator is, is the word that we, we use when we talk about a child following their parents. And if you're a parent in here, you know, you know your kids are going to repeat what you say for better or for worse, right? <laughs> Amen, someone says, right? Maybe uh, we'll talk after church. No, um, our kids will, will copy the things. They'll do the things. It's, it, it's an imitation. It's a flattery thing. They'll, they'll, they'll follow you in the way. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, as I, as I strive to follow the Lord, follow me. It's, a, it's an honor to be followed. It's an honor to be imitated by our kids. Sometimes. Sometimes it's a really great reflection of the areas that God needs to sanctify us in, right? But that's what he's saying, imitating here. So there's a a few questions that come out of this text, and then we're going to end. And I want to just encourage you guys, if if everything, even the title for this text is like, do all for the glory of God. And that's such an easy thing for us to say, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to glorify God. There's a few questions we have to answer out of this text, I think, or over the last three chapters to answer. And this is a a few questions I got from another pastor that I thought were brilliant, so I'm just going to steal them. These questions are, are really, really simple questions that we can answer if you're like, man, what if this doesn't bring glory to God? I don't I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm going to school. Is is the education I'm going in gonna bring glory to God? Like you have those questions. These are this is for amoral things, okay? Not the things that are really obvious, immoral things. Which brings me to the first question. What does the Bible say about it? Okay, I want to be really clear. The Bible's super, super clear. And maybe it doesn't talk about rated R movies, but Jesus does say if you lust after someone, it's like you've already committed adultery in your heart. So don't. Divorce your life from the scriptures. What does the scriptures say? Don't look for ways that you can kind of read into it and go, well, it doesn't really fully say that, so I'm just going to kind of walk the line in the gray as possible as far as I can. I think in a lot of times, we live our lives in a way where we try to see how much we can get away with and still be Christians as opposed to what would glorify God. And so the first one is, what does the Bible say? You see it over and over again. When Jesus was tempted or attacked, he he quotes Scripture. Back in chapter 10, 7, the Apostle Paul on this very subject quotes Deuteronomy. He quotes Scripture. What does the Scripture say? So if you are here and you're dating someone and you're not married and you're having physical relationships with them, you're like, well, I don't know. No, the Scriptures are very clear. They, They call that adultery. Well, let me pray about it. No, you don't need to pray about it. The Scriptures are very clear. Submit yourself to the Scriptures. So what do the Scriptures say? If you are living contrary to what the Scriptures say, it is not bringing glory to God. It's not. It doesn't mean you're not worthy of God. I mean, in essence, through Christ, we are all deemed worthy. Outside of Christ, we aren't. It doesn't mean that He doesn't love you. He still loves you. It doesn't mean there isn't grace for your sins or your struggles. But here's the thing. He created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows you better than anyone else, and He knows what will bring you true everlasting joy, not cheap happiness. And to bring him glory, to proclaim of his holiness, is what we were created for. And so when you submit to scriptures, you bring him glory. Another question that can be very easy that this pastor had mentioned is, am I strong or am I weak? We, we see this in, in the context of, of chapter 8, the weaker brother that couldn't handle the, the meat-sacrificed idols. This is, this is a really simple question in your life. If you are weak in a certain area, don't give yourself to it. That's where that flea comes from. Run. If you are weak, if you're like, man, I am super weak between the hours of 10 and midnight, whether it's on computers or not, then like take your computer and throw it out the window or give it to someone else. Like, like don't, don't keep yourself in an area where you're weak because you will not bring glory to God. And the same can be said of this question. If you have a brother or a sister or a family member or a spouse that is weak in a specific area, don't give to that. Gosh, I, I know people that their, their, their spouse isn't, is a recovering alcoholic and the other spouse still continues to drink. That is so... Wrong. It's very selfish. And yeah, you're right. They're free to do so. There's nothing in scriptures that says it's not. But they're they're living with a weaker person and they're 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 putting something that could be a potentially horrible stumbling block for them. So you answer the question: Am I weak or strong? If you're weak in an area, don't don't try and go there. Don't don't give in that way. If there's an area of strength, don't ever assume that you can't be cut into that, always have accountability, even if you're like, man, I'm really strong in this area, like, this is something that the Lord has just shown victory after victory, still have healthy accountability, and people in your life that can poke on you, and push on you, and, and question that with, without being divisive in it. The other question that we can ask is, and this is the hardest question, because I don't feel like, this is a question I don't ask often enough in my own life, what is good for others? That's what he's saying here, like, the others is many, it's, it's all people, even foreigners, people that disagree with you, what like, if you want to bring glory to God for your life, what is good for others? Now, what this isn't saying, I want to be really clear, this isn't saying hide the scriptures and, and run from, because you might hurt someone's feelings if you tell them that you want to pray for them. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. That's not what that is. It's saying, this is talking about amoral behavior, things that you partake in that potentially could be a stumbling block for someone else. If it's not good for others, then don't do it. If it's not good for those in your gospel community, then why are you partaking of it? If it's not good for your family, then why are you partaking of it? If you have friends that don't know the Lord and it's not good for them, then don't give yourself to that. You want to bring glory to God? Always be aware of what is good for those others around you. It's such a beautiful thing. It, like, again, it requires us to be open with each other. It requires us to be true to one another. And it requires us to, to be in each other's lives where that can happen. And then the other question is, what helps the gospel go forward? He said this over and over again. He said, I do all these things so that the gospel can go forward. The primary role as a child of God is to go and make disciples of all nations. That's not just for some professionals. That's for everyone. And so whatever you're doing, does it help the gospel go forward in someone's life? Does it help the gospel go forward in someone's life that they completely disagree with you politically? Does it help the gospel go forward with someone in your gospel community that you just like, man, we just, we, we just drive each other nuts? Like, what, what, what you do will bring glory to God if you pay attention to how it helps the gospel move forward in others' lives. It, it would be really selfish of us to have the gospel, to have the, the joy and the hope that comes from Jesus Christ, and to hold on to that and not share it with anyone. In fact, the very opposite should be happening. If you want to bring glory to God, you should be, you should be praising his holiness for the fact that he has, he has clothed you in righteousness and he's, he's taken the very sins that, that you were in bondage to and he's freed you from them and now you can operate in freedom to love him and to love others. That should be something that we just want to tell everyone about, not just vocally, but the way we live our lives. And the last question I would say, and this is good for parents, is, is what I'm doing worth copying? if if you're doing something and parents I'm just going to pick it on you if, if there's something you're doing or saying that you would be mortified if your children did it probably isn't bringing glory to god and i've had that happen like my kids have said things I'm like where did you hear that from you dad Oh, okay my bad but if the if the actions the, the things that you're doing aren't worth copying as you follow christ if it's not if it's not you following christ then 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 don't don't do it don't give yourself that way, because it doesn't bring glory to God. Christians have essential freedom in morally neutral matters, but our behavior must be tempered with concern of others. If God made us, one scholar said this way, it's brilliant. He said, if God made us for his glory, it is clear that we should live for his glory. Our duty comes from his design. Hear this. What does it mean to glorify God? It means that we love him, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. We trust him, Romans 4, 20, are thankful to him psalms 50:23 and obey him matthew 5:16 so we want god's glory to shine we must make it visible this is where jesus says let your light shine before men so that they may glorify your father in heaven for the good things that you're doing this is what it means for us to live for him So I want to encourage you today, if you realize, like, man, I have not been aware of the people around me, or I have not really made the primary focus of my life to see the gospel move forward, both in my own life, because the gospel is for you that are saved to continue to be pushing in, or for those that don't, if if that's you today, just repent. Just confess that to the Lord. Confess that to your gospel community. Confess that to the people you came with and say, look, I want, I want my life to be about the gospel. I want, I, want my, I want my life to be more intentional about the people around me. The people that don't know him, I want them to see the gospel. The people that do know him, I want them to be compelled to live more and more submissive to the gospel. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I'm struggling just to believe that God would love me where I'm at. Couldn't, you couldn't be more wrong. He displayed his love for you, not just by what he said in scriptures, although he says it over and over again. I would encourage you to just read and you'd see it. But he displayed it by what he did with Jesus, by sending him to the cross to pay for yours and my sins so that we can be deemed righteous and holy and we can actually live a life that brings glory to God. He loves you. And if you're sitting here going, man, I, you know what, like, I, I want to submit my life to Jesus, but it's already hard enough to, to, to take on the effects of my own life and the choices that I make and, and, and how that brings glory. And now you're telling me I have to be aware of what it does for my spouse and my kids and my neighbors, my coworkers. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what the Scripture is saying. But you don't do it on your own strength. You do it with the Spirit's strength. So it's a submission issue more than a control thing. It's a submission thing more than an effort thing. And again, the motivation isn't just so that the gospel go forward. The motivation of our lives is what? To bring glory to God in everything we do. Whatever you do, the way you brush your teeth in the smallest things, if you can see God bringing glory or seeing God being glorified in the mundane things, watch what he does in the big things in your life. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the ability to live. Inside of your prayers. I thank you for the spirit in giving me the ability to, to walk in new life. God, for the people that are here today that, that aren't sure what they believe about you, God, I pray I pray that you would just show them who you are. They're not here by accident. They didn't, they didn't come upon some circumstances to get them here. You are drawing them out, God, and so I pray that you would show them your goodness and they would submit their lives entirely to you. Yeah, for the individuals that are in here today that have been proclaiming your name for a long time and, and maybe they're, they're running to, I feel a little beat up or, or struggling with it, God, would they, would they press into your spirit? Would they remain under the trials you put in them as you draw and sanctify them and, and complete the promise that you said you would do, which is finish what you started in each of us? Yeah, we, we, we love you and we thank you for the ability to serve, God, for the individuals that are in here that have disregarded the care of others. God, I pray that you would just annoy the snot out of us with keeping the faces of people in our lives in front of us before every action we do. Not in a way that we would live in fear of messing up, but instead, God, we live asking the question, how can I do this so it brings you the most glory? So people don't even remember my name, but all they see is Jesus. It's in his magnificent name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.